Well, hello, friends. It is Wednesday. It is midweek. It is, well, today happens to be Wednesday. We don't always record on a Wednesday, but it's the middle of the week. It's between two Sundays, and Mark's here with me to talk about what's gone and what's coming. How's that for a bit more succinct? Perfect la- to between two Sundays. Well, last episode was long, and it could have been because of the intro. I don't know. Just <laughs> trying to cut things short. <laughs> Between Two Sundays is the podcast where we discuss the readings from the Revised Common Lectionary, and we talk about the ones, the readings that we've just come out of, and we talk about the readings that we're about to go into. We talk about how we've lived out of those and how we're going to think into those, and we do it right here in the middle because why not? Yeah, very nice. Better to do it in the middle than anywhere else. I suppose. A very simple little idea is between two Sundays. It is. Um, simple, little, but, man, there's some, been some profound conversations. We've had some good ones, haven't we? Love it. <laughs> last week was the 10th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 15 for those who are uh, going off that. And we have readings from Isaiah, from Psalms, from Hebrews, and we continue to work through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I got really stuck coming out of Sunday, on uh, verse 2 of Hebrews 12. Yeah. And I know, I know we, we talked about um, we've got this great cloud of witnesses and, you know, verse 2, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, which is the last two verses of the reading, and then verse 2 starts off with me. We look to Jesus, but then the next couple of words, and I don't think we talked about them very much, but I got stuck on those if I, as I contemplated the verse more the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What a great and, and I love this word, the pioneer. I don't know why I haven't done it, but um, as we're talking, I'm just going to quickly throw it into um, Bible Hub. But um, the, the idea that Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. Now, I've, I've read it in other versions as the author Yes, uh, but I mean again, it's it's the same idea that you know, he wrote what this looks like, and so Jesus, essentially, the writer of Hebrews is saying, is literally the uh, uh, sorry, the, Jesus is the perfect model for mm. how it is we're meant to live. If you want to know what does Christianity look like, or what, is, what should Christianity look like, um, it's literally Jesus. Uh, and, and so, look, to, to, to follow that up, um, uh, archagos is the word that's used in Greek, which literally means originator, author, founder um, of, yeah. of things. So yeah, there you go, the originator. And, and I guess that, that makes perfect sense. I mean, all the places we could look and think about well, what does it look like, it's like not seeing the forest for the trees to go, well, this is why Jesus kept saying, follow me. Yeah. Do, do you want to know how to live into the faith? Follow me, not the literal rabbinical walking along behind, although if Jesus were here, that would be right. Sure. Uh, but it's literally looking to Jesus mm. and saying, well, how would Jesus do this? How would Jesus go about doing that? And not even the what would Jesus do sense, because as I used to say in my comedy shows, the T-shirts should have more letters than that, which spell out how can you know what Jesus would do when you don't know what he did. Um, and so it's really about this heart, yeah. this spirit, um, because I don't know what Jesus would think about watching television because Jesus never talked about watching television. Mm. But what is the heart and the spirit of that, of the teachings of Jesus? And so it becomes this whole, you know, we talked about the great cloud of witnesses sort of sitting there over us. I sensed this spirit sitting there, um, that we look to, that directs us, that, um, for want of a better term, without sounding like we're going off our own wisdom, common sense of mm. well, if, if Jesus, you know, has presented themselves in this way through this what we read about Jesus in the Gospels, then I think this is the way it would go. And I, I think there's some scope within that for people to do it slightly different. Um, One would which, hope so. Which is which is an interest, and it would yep. often depend on even where you live, your yes, locality, your culture, your background. Yep. Um, 
but we look to Jesus. And I, I think that's where it gets, it got really interesting for me anyway, just living out of yeah. readings on Sunday. Um, one of the one of the stunning things about the New Testament, I think, is that it doesn't spell out the Christian culture. Um, it is yeah. it's remarkable, and the very reason that you know uh, we were discussing prayer books before we started recording, the very reason these cultures of how to go, how we choose to go about our uh, living out our Christian faith, have arisen is that it's just not spelled out. There's no equivalent of a marriage service in the New Testament. Um, it's something that's that's left perhaps dangerously open. <laughs> well. <laughs> Somewhat. <coughs> Something um, like that. But it is, it is beautifully <clears throat> risky. Just as you were talking there, emphasising the pioneer element of Jesus, I was really struck by the context in which we're talking about this, which is the, the book of Hebrews. Um, distinctly, distinctly Jewish, mm. and we've got and this this description of Jesus as the author of our faith comes after this long list of essentially Jewish heroes. Um, so so it, it's not like we can take this Jesus and say he starts Christianity. He's the author of Christianity. Actually, he's the author of all that God has done. Yes. Um, and there's there's something um, there's there's something uh, dangerously big about Jesus as as the author of the faith um, that can be described as something that Abraham did. Um, you know, this is not Jesus starting something in AD thirty. Um, this is a description of Jesus starting something that's been around forever. And look, I probably should add um, before we keep going. When I said the author of Christianity, that was probably a wrong. Term I wasn't. Because, I wasn't thinking. No, no, no. But yeah. but I, just for people who are listening, because I, I don't think Jesus came to start Christianity at all. Yes. Um, and yeah. your what Understood. you're saying here points no. that out. Um, yeah, yeah. But it also brings up yeah. what you just said there. The, the second thing that really pumped out. I had two things this week, and oh. that was the 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 fire. In Luke 12, I came to bring a fire to the earth. I have a baptism to which to be baptized in verses mm. 49 and verse 50. Both of those acts are cleansing acts. We burn things to burn away yes. the unvaluable and to retain the valuable. Baptism is a, is a symbol of washing and making something clean. And so this finding this way in our faith uh, we'll I hopefully all find ourselves going through some fire and going through some water in the hope that it will burn off or wash off mm. the things that we need to leave behind and move forward with our eyes looking to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. I got stuck a little bit on the end of... Um, uh, the, the gospel passage, Luke, um, where, where Jesus' criticism really, and really everything in this passage is leading up to this. Jesus' criticism is you don't know how to interpret the present time. Um, why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Uh, and, of course, this is in the context of Jesus being right in front of people and people completely misunderstanding that. But there was something of me that that was was asking, um, what is? It seems very important that we're readers not just of scripture, but also of our generation mm. and of, of the time, the, the the cultural context we find ourselves in. So we're, we're back to culture, which which is where we ended up talking before. Um, it, it's it seems to me that that Christianity really does have to find expression within our time. And maybe that's, maybe that's something that that Hebrews list is sort of pointing to, that all these heroes of the Jewish faith that demonstrated faith, um, were, were all from, you know, different eras. Um, they actually lived in very different contexts and responded very differently to what they knew about God. There's something alarmingly um, 
concrete about the description of faith in this Hebrews passage. Mm. Um, the faith, faith is manifest in the things they do, not just in the things they know. Um, and I, I wonder if that's if that's part of the challenge to us. What does it look like to um, to be so grounded in our time that we live out what God is asking us to do, and, and we do we do the faith rather than we um, sit contentedly back and say we've got all the answers. Yeah. Uh, this this very profound call to do, which I would suggest is perhaps the essence of what divides. Um, often we think of, you know, the divisions in the church are around doctrine. Um, but I would suggest that it's actually the way we go about living that doctrine. Um, you and I were discussing, and, you know, this indeed this is happening all over the world at the moment, um, uh, a couple of denominations we're close to that are splitting at the moment. Um, and it's, it's the doing, it's the action that really does um, uh, that really does throw the cat among the pigeons, so to speak. Mm. And uh, and I'm not saying I agree with all the action, of course, um, but I I am suggesting that um, you know it's one thing for us to talk and talk and talk and talk, but when one side takes action and does what they believe, be that where I stand or not. Um, that that really is the point of, the, the, you know, the line in the sand. This is where I stand. Yeah, um, and and that is that is often very divisive within families, within cultures, within um, Christian communities. Um, yeah. So there's. Uh, I I I just I I left this thinking, you know. What, what, what is there to say about these people that have Jesus right in front of them and can't see it? Um, and and uh, is there something kind of self-righteous about me wanting to suggest that that's problematic when I actually live in a time where I, I'm not sure I always read exactly what's happening well um, in light of my faith and in light of practice? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, there was there was something in me challenged to be um, be alert to my time um, and to to desire to be faithful within that um, as a result of reading that gospel reading. Awesome. If you missed last week's episode and have a spare few hours up your hand, um, go back and have. I okay, know it wasn't that long, but go back Not and quite. have a listen. Not quite. It was a new record, wasn't it? It was a new record. <laughs> Let's not go there. No. This coming Sunday now is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 16. And yes. our readings for this week from the Revised Common Lectionary are Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 10, Psalm 71, verses 1 to 6, Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 29, and the Gospel is Luke 13, verses 10 to 17, you'll find that list of readings at we get our um, printouts from the Vanderbilt uh, Library. If you put Vanderbilt Lectionary into the search engine, it'll come up along with, uh, as we keep saying, beautiful images, which you can use in your PowerPoints for Sundays and uh, things that will help uh, stimulate those things there. So, uh, and all by the way, all the readings are listed in the show notes down below if you're watching on YouTube. And some of them have links if you're really lucky, but if not, just Google it and obviously it'll come up. Uh, are we just going to rock through from the start? Yeah, Is there a particular way you want to go? Uh, not particularly. Okay. I, I didn't think they all automatically related to one another, but maybe we can see some themes. Sure. Jeremiah 1, the infamous <laughs> Jeremiah 1. Yes. Sometimes contentious. Jeremiah 1, used for all sorts of things yeah, uh, to prove and hold all sorts of ideas, yeah. uh, doctrines. Yeah. Um, I, as normal for me, got sucked into the words Yes, uh, in verse 5, formed, new, consecrated, 
and appointed. Um, mm, very nice. And I did my normal thing and studied, the, pulled out my Hebrew. And, <laughs> and the, 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 there's some beautiful things in these words. That word formed is yotzar, which means uh, the, the image of the potter. Mm. Uh, which yes. I think is um, a yes. beautiful um, idea to understand, or the image of the carver. So you have this um, God who is saying to Jeremiah, I have literally formed you, I've carved you, which is interesting because there's throwbacks there to the idea that um, people would carve or shape or form their gods and place them in temples. Yes. Uh, yes. And yet here is the God who's forming and shaping the creation mm. and placing them in particular places. The word knew, where it says I knew you, is yodah, which um, doesn't just mean to know, but also means to find or discover or discern. And I love the idea that God is saying, uh, yes. I made you and I found you. Yeah. It's almost like that image of the, uh, I can't remember, I think it might have been one of the famous sculptors who used to who uh, oh, yes sculpted yeah. the thing and they said how did how did you turn yeah. that into a horse he said no no it wasn't that I just the, the horse was in there the whole time I yeah. just kept chipping away at the rock or the wood until the horse came out yeah uh, I it just I removed really it wasn't the horse yeah, yeah yeah that's right the horse was already yeah. there so this idea of discovering or discerning um, mm. who we are. Then mm. there's this word consecrate. I consecrated you, Kodesh, which does mean to, to set apart, um, to show something as sacred. Yeah. And then I appointed you, um, which is um, uh, Northan, which is to, to give. So I've given you, I've put you, I've set you. So you have this really interesting, I guess, progression of this God who shapes discovers the shaping and then sets it down um, and puts it in a particular place. Yeah. And I'm just going, wow. Uh, Mark, you're making me, um, you're making me want to want to play with the broader context here. And indeed some of some stuff of this is, is within this passage already. Um, mm. Jeremiah is, terrified of this call he is he is insisting that he's not ready this language of you know i'm only a boy pick someone else essentially um how many people in ministry um actually go through this period of um of a, a deep fear that i'm not good enough that god hasn't made me you know like the other people um, I've witnessed in ministry who are, you know, maybe much more dynamic, maybe much more upfront. Uh, this is kind of important for Jeremiah in particular. He's known as the weeping prophet, of course. So this is the guy who, um, who almost goes through, well, probably goes through seasons of significant depression um, as he goes about his ministry. So here he is. He is anything. You know, there's there's probably a whole lot of aspects to him, probably for his whole life, where he felt quite inadequate for this call. And yet you've brought out this um, this sort of thread of call language um, through this text. Um, and he's the kind of person probably our culture wouldn't call. Probably our culture would look at him and say, you know, you're not tough enough or you're not, um, you, you haven't got the robustness that's needed for this upfront clashing kind of ministry. And yet he is a prophet to kings. Um, he's, he's a prophet to, to his nation. Um, interestingly enough, this, um, this, this fear that he won't have words um, links in beautifully with the fact that he's he's wonderfully symbolic. Um, he does a lot of things um, throughout Jeremiah rather than just speak, and he and he he sees in metaphors. 
Mm. Um, so there's something very um, or, uh, quite artistic about Jeremiah, which probably comes out of this sort of emotional, yeah. melancholy, emotional, connected intelligence, intelligence yeah. um, that, that's part of him. So I, I, I think there's a, there's a way you can take this passage quite quite literally and play with it as as to you know as to how Jeremiah's life plays out and, and read all of Jeremiah through this idea that he feels inadequate and yet God chooses him and uses him through his unique gifting, which obviously is is just beautiful. Um, that that one who seems uh, so fragile can be used so profoundly by God, um, even though he can't see it himself, um, yeah. is quite, really quite spectacular and should be quite encouraging. Um, you know, when I was a chaplain at a school, um, I used to say to myself continually, and I, and I would I would actually act on this. So I would get other people up to speak at chapel. Um, I would get young people up, some of the students. I would get other teachers up. I would get the head of, you know, the principal of the school. I would get multiple voices. I would get males and females. I would invite these people to come to chapel and contribute. And it was was all coming out of a philosophy that as the chaplain, even as the, the head of the team of chaplains, um, there was no way in the world that in a school of 15, 1600, everyone was going to connect with me. Um, I came as, as myself. I read scripture from a certain point of view. I um, celebrated parts of scripture that I understood at the time more than other parts. Um, and it, was, uh, it, it seemed to me to be particularly um, arrogant to think that one person could take that role of linking with everyone else. We need in ministry the spectrum of personalities. Um, there were unquestionably students there that didn't connect with me as quickly as they connected with others. And that's not me being falsely modest or anything. That's just me being human. Uh, that's me being me. Uh, there's no way in the world I was going to connect with the spectrum of personalities across an entire school. And so it seemed to me to be really vital to put um, a spectrum of people approaching the gospel in front of the kids. Um, and and, and that, that actually released me not to feel like I had to be everything to everyone and released me to celebrate the capacity of, of others that, that I didn't have, even within ministry, um, even within teaching scripture, um, which I would have sort of enjoyed significantly while I was there. Um, it seemed to me. It seems to me that, that that particularly Jeremiah, since he's probably the type of person our culture wouldn't pick as the great prophet of his time. Um, uh, yet, yet God did, and He brings something unique to the conversation. Um, approaches God in a unique way. Hears God in a unique way, and. And, and that is that's valuable, even though it's not maybe trendy or connects with with, with even even with most. Um, he doesn't have to connect with most. He has to be faithful to one who God's made him, and two, what God speaks into his heart. Yeah, and let's be very real. I know we talked about this in the context of people who are called to ministry. But I think this is true of anybody who feels a sense of vocation and call to anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. That uh, it could be business, it could be yes. flying planes, it could be artistic endeavors. Could be you have this sense yeah. of vocation to it. That mm. that call to step out and follow that path. Um, some sometimes, a lot of the time, there's this sense of trepidation about that. Yeah. Um, because there's a, it's not so much the task; it's the sense of weightiness behind it. Because you feel this sense of call and vocation that goes with that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people here in this school where I am, who I'm sure became teachers because 
they have these skills and gifts and things and and they like to be in front of kids and like to share their knowledge and that's great in a school like ours though which in some ways does demand a little bit more um perhaps from teachers that no not, that's not true it doesn't demand maybe it just happens because of the sorts of people that get attracted here but this sense of vocation um yes. is yes. why people invest they don't just come here to teach they come here to invest not to say that teachers please don't hear me wrong teachers i really do appreciate what you do <laughs> having worked in schools most of my life but certainly my experience here is that there's a lot of people seem to carry a sense of vocation yes about yes. their teaching uh yeah. vocation and i would yeah. say that for a lot of them there was a bit of trepidation about that no one stands in front of 25 to 30 young people without trembling in their boots a few times especially the first time and you're going what am i doing here yeah. and how can i do this i don't know how to speak i don't for i'm just a insert mm. thing here yeah. and yet that sense of vocation and call that forming and shaping and discerning i love the idea that god works it out as he goes, as God goes along, mm. kind of like we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. God starts the forming and then goes, eh, I think I know what this is going to be. I think yeah. I know what, what what this is for. Yeah. Um, so there's beautiful power. Sure. Um, I'm not sure, Mark, if I've told this story on the 22 Sundays before, but um, you know, I particularly relate to Jeremiah and this. I remember when I was 19 years old, I felt very called to go to Bible college. And and so I did. Um, but uh, I, I, I remember making a deal with God. Um, I'll go and do ministry, but you'll have to put me into a ministry where I don't have to speak in, other, in front of other people. That's how terrified I was. Of um, of actually uh, of public speaking, I, I hated it. It was the worst. My my teachers at school um, cannot believe I have gone on and made a career out of this. Um, and and I, I literally have never had a job where I wasn't public speaking. Mm. Um, so this sense of this sense of call, where God knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows our capacity better than we know our own capacity. And that's that comes right through in this passage of Jeremiah. And incidentally, the psalm insists that this is not just Jeremiah's story. Yes, uh, yes. Very much emphasises the same thing, but says it in a much broader and more general way. So it's not linked with one particular person or one particular prophet. But that language of um, knowing me from birth and... Um, taking me from my mother's womb is here again. Um, all that language of youth um, is here again in the psalm as well. I really loved verse 3 of the psalm. I really dug down deep there. Um, Be to me a rock of refuge and a strong fortress. Uh, and I never thought about this before, but um, basically a fortress is something that's over our heads and a rock is something that's under our feet. Ah, and so there's yeah. this complete hedge yes, exactly. um, that the psalmist is talking about here. Um, and refuge and fortress. We often think of fortresses as places of um, uh, putting ourselves in readiness for battle and defence. But we forget that during um, these times when the psalms were written, Israel had these places um where people could run to basically they were the cities yes. of of um protection um so you know you did something wrong uh it's almost like there was this not get out of jail free card but you could escape being treated harshly for what you'd done you still have to go through the processes but yeah. Yeah. you can run to these um uh cities of refuge and so the idea that, you know, this a fortress isn't just a place for, you know, fortifying yourself in against an enemy, but there's also this um, sense of a place where behind the walls you are protected. Mm. Uh, so there's this complete protection that comes beneath and above us. And so the idea, again, that 
in walking this path into the call of vocation into which we feel compelled to follow. Um, and, and again, just as another aside, this may not be a job. This may be something that you yeah. do on the side as a, a hobby, but it comes becomes more than that because you realise this is a part of your service to the world. Um, uh, and so this this idea that that we are able to find refuge in God um, and, and I, th I think about the context of Jeremiah and the psalm being here, Jeremiah is concerned about the criticism. He's concerned about the uh, the, the the people who would say basically too young, too fresh, not from the right place. Mm. Who are, who are you to do this? Uh, and the psalmist basically says that God can be to us a place where we will find that complete protection. And the verse straight after it. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and the cruel. Um, so this this idea that if our if we're surrounded in this hedge mm. by this God who has called us, then we needn't be afraid of the criticisms. Uh, and it's taken me a heck of a long time. I'm 49 years of age, and you know, I would have said that it's not until I was in the start of my 40s that I really started to let go of that um, concern that comes from criticism. Mm. I, I'm happy to take criticism and I'm happy to look at it, but if it was just harsh and nasty, as the psalmist seemed to indicating here, you know, wicked and cruel and unjust criticism, then... Uh, I quite frankly am very willing to say I don't care what you think. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'll con hear me right. I'll consider it. And if I think I need to make changes, I'll, I'll make the changes and I'll take your criticism. Mm. But if if not, if I look at it and I go, eh, I'm not going to be worried by it. Um, okay. I'm not going to be worried by people who will say, who are you to speak? You know, well, I'm, if I've paid my dues and I feel that I need to be a voice here, I'll be a voice. Yeah. Um, but that's hard in this world, in this day and age, and obviously it was hard in Jeremiah's time as well. But the psalmist reminds us um, we are rescued from those things and we can find in God a place to... I think there's something about this psalm that talks about us truly being ourselves, yeah. Uh, be, being true to who we are, our call, our um, response to God, the way we think God's calling us to be. No one else can judge that. Um, no one else can judge how I think God has spoken to me about this. i sure I can be wrong. Um, but if I'm wrong, I'm certainly going to find out about it. <laughs> Um, if I'm honest with myself, and I, I'd like to think I've come to a point in life where I, where I can be. So there's the, this psalm is just beautiful. It, it provides a a place mm. where I can be me, and I can be me exactly how I was born to be. Upon you I've leaned from my birth. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. There's this sense of we're born to be to be who we were born to be let's be that person um you know and life pushes us along quite a bit to follow the path of being like someone else wants us to be mm. like our parents or a teacher or the group of friends around us or a particular way and we think we have to be like that in order to be accepted this is a psalm that you can meditate on and come back to a place of saying well no who is the authentic mark you know, who is the authentic you and to be that person. And that's what Jeremiah is being called to here. He's being called to his authenticity mm. that is ingrained in him from um, the image of the potter and from the discerning of the potter that or the creator that this is where I think this person's going to fit. Yeah, nice. Nice. 
I um, I've always found fear of criticism to be a much bigger challenge than criticism. <laughs> much bigger, much bigger. Yeah. Um, the 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 fear that people will, um, you know, come up with holes and uh, you know want to argue back or defend ground. Um, I, I think it's been a much much bigger influence in causing me to you know, for many years to hold back much more than I do now. Um, I, I really think that the foundation of that was fear. It was never that everyone was criticising me. Yeah. It was, was much more um, the perception that it, it might happen. And where it has happened, where, where I have been criticised, I've, I've got to say I've handled it much better than in my imagination I had. Um, you know, um, I, I, in my imagination, you know, I'd, I'd just cave and wouldn't have any comeback and, um, you know, it would just be exposed and, you know, this would be a disaster. Um, but actually, in reality, it's never been like that. Um, it's always been a pretty sensible conversation really, mm. uh, that I've grown through and that um, I've been, been able to help others grow through as well. Um, so I, I wonder if this is going on in Jeremiah's life a little bit as well. Is he um, is he scared of something that actually, when it comes to the reality, he'll handle pretty well? Yeah. Mm. And Hebrews starts to touch in on this uh, towards the end of the reading. Yeah. Um, I mean, it kicks off talking about what this mountain is and what this mountain isn't that we're being called to. Mm. Um, but down, you get to around um, verse 27 where um, the writer says, uh, sorry, verse 26 probably for context, at, the, at that time his voice, God's voice shook the earth but now God has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heaven. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of what is shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. This is another refining fire. This shaking much, yeah. is another refining. And like Jeremiah, our deeper self or identity, the true self, or identity is what remains after the shaking. Um, in verse 28, it goes on to say, therefore, since we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. There's that refining again. Yeah. There's that burning off of the dross and the chaff and the wood and the hay and the stubble and the, the other baggage and crap we carry around with ourselves so we can get back to the essence of what is true uh, about our image and whose image we're made in, about yeah. the call and vocation that we have on our lives. Uh, and so what we see here at the end of this passage is that coming into the truth of who we are and the truth of what it is that we are called to, this kingdom that we live in as our lives go through this shaking and through this fire. I mean, the writer is very clear. This kingdom, God's kingdom, um, cannot be shaken. Mm. So if the thing, we shouldn't fear the fact that the shakings happen, that the fire comes through, because the stuff that gets shaken out and burnt off isn't a part of that uh thing that we're meant to be connected be connected to um certainly there could be a time of grieving um for that thing that we lose through that yeah. because we kind yeah. of liked it uh or it was fun or um whatever it happens to be you know any loss will receive some grieving with it but um you know this is about what is what is important what is true, what is right, what is just, that's what's going to be left behind. This, you know, we've been talking about Jeremiah, this person that Jeremiah is meant to be, 
this person that Jeremiah should be without fear of what's coming around them as they go out and start to proclaim things as the prophet. Likewise, we too go through this refining, uh, this shaking, this fire, this baptism, as we we're talking about with last week's psalm, so that we can be truly everything that we were called to be. And it's not a once-off affair. Uh, this happens time after time after time as we grow and develop. And it's almost like we continually we come through and just like with some things, you put them through the fire and then shake the then you put them through the fire again. It's the same, this refining. But the, what's left is the core essence of what it is that we're meant to be, of what it is that's important, of what it is that is right and true and just, remembering that the same happens to all that's around us. So what's left around us, this kingdom that cannot be shaken, this is the way of being and doing in the world that God has called us to be and to do. And um, We don't need the other stuff in order to um, find fulfilment and joy uh, and to live life and life to the full, as Jesus put it in John 10.10. So I, I love this connection that I've sort of seen here because it's a... It, it's it's one that tells us not just of the the fear of stepping in or the trepidation, maybe a better word, of stepping in and the safety that's there once we step in, but there's this ongoing shaping, forming. It's not just the forming that happens mm -hmm. at the start, as we saw in Jeremiah. There's a continual shaping and forming that goes on. It's almost mm -hmm. like the first draft gets put out there and this then comes the second, the third, the fourth draft, and it'll be a continual drafting until perfection comes at some point, probably not in this way that we're living now mm. at some point. I was, uh, gee, linking in with all that stuff you're saying there, um, I, I got to this the end of this passage and thought to myself, all this, you know, mountain and darkness and shaking and uh, this is very consistent throughout this passage um and yet there's uh it seems to me that the first half has you know all these very very strong resonances of moses going up the mountain and getting the ten commandments yep um and bearing in mind again that hebrews is very jewish and seems to be kind of written the, the gospel written to the Jews, so to speak. Um, I, I found myself thinking, what are the resonances that go on between this, um, you know, between this description of Christ as as one who um, uh, is um, as as one who is being described as one shaking like this. Um, one who's uh, what, what are the resonances between Christ and Moses here for the Jewish mindset? Um, and I don't know that I I don't know that I have the answers except this sense of the Ten Commandments forming Israel and then the staggering blessing that was. There, there's a parallelism going on between between that event. And and Christ is this one who who shakes us to the core, um, and and reforms us. Uh, this this incredible hope um, that must be being tapped into as they talk about the moment Moses goes up Mount Sinai and gets these ten commandments um, that they still you know, celebrate and um, and live out and rightly so, of course. Um, I just I just found myself wondering what goes on in the Jewish mind when these things are paralleled. And I'm sure there's much more going on here than I realise. Yeah, I wonder, and just throwing a thought out that popped into my mind as you were talking there, you know, that first part describing Sinai and the Sinai event out of which 
the commandments came and formed and shaped the nation. The, I, the Maybe the parallel is that we've come to a different mountain, but there's still a forming and a shaping that comes from it. We're not. Yes. The, yes. the, the Christ event isn't a get out of jail free card. There is still a shaping. There's still a forming. There's still a Sinai to stand beneath, and there's still a desert to walk through. Yeah. Um, it's a there's different something one. in me that desperately wants to listen to a Jew read this. Yeah. There, there's something in me that that is quite convinced. There's much more going on here than I can see. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not suggesting that you know we can't read it or we're blind to it entirely. But I, I, I this is one of those passages, and Hebrews does this to me a lot. That made me think, gee, I wonder what's. Um, I wonder what's really going on. Hmm. Hmm. Which brings us to the gospel. What a simply. Beautiful story. Um, this woman comes, the description of her is bent over, and um, and Christ uh, touching, Jesus touching her, and this healing that seems to get Jesus in a whole lot of trouble straight away. Um, and it really does seem to me to be... Um, provoked by her suffering, not Jesus' desire to cause trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's one of these stories that that has elements of elements that lead us to to see compassion here as as the big motive. Um, yeah. And and I think that's I think that's probably where the shame comes from by the end. Um, these these opponents put to shame um i don't know that it's so much that jesus is clever with words or gives a clever answer i think well, it's i think it's that jesus just has compassion and and where you don't you look like you're out of step how, how can you not be shamed when it's pointed out to you quite fairly and gently i think yeah. I mean, I, I know we often read Jesus' words, and I think we, this is worth saying here. When you read Jesus' words, think about the tone you're putting on it in your head. Oh, yes. And I yes. think uh, I found it a really handy thing to actually read it in various tones. Um, yeah. Simply, yeah. To, simply to get a, my head around stuff. But uh, So I think this is actually quite a gentle comment. But, boy... It's got some weight because literally he is saying to these people, you've got more compassion on a donkey yes, than you've got on this woman. Yes. Or you would show more compassion to a donkey than you would for this woman. You would do for a donkey more than you'd be willing to do for this woman. Yeah. Uh, Which really is, you know, that that is promoting shame, isn't it? That's, oh, absolutely that's going to have its effect when there's you know when there's no argument to come back to yeah to come back with yeah i've been um i i i run a book club at my, at my church and um you know most months we will pick a book and on the first monday of the um uh, of the month we'll get together and discuss it and we'll we'll all have read it we um just through circumstance and people taking holidays and stuff like that, we've ended up um, with about a six to eight week gap between when we've when we met um, just a few days ago and, and when we'll meet again. Um, and we we sort of said, uh, what will we do with a big gap? Is this a bit of an opportunity for us to um, read or listen to, as as many of us are want wanting to do. So we will. So so a number of us in that club will listen to a book rather than read it um, on Audible. And we said to ourselves, um, so at the moment we are listening to the New Testament. So that's the book we've set aside. 
Wow. Um, okay. And I tell you what, tone is ridiculously, ridiculously powerful. Mm. So I'm reading, I'm listening to um, listening to it by, uh, I, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name and it's, he's very popular. I'm a bit embarrassed by that. David Suchet. Right. Um, who played Poirot in that TV show. Um, but he, he reads it very gently. I'm quite convinced, I may be wrong here, um, I'm quite convinced he's the same guy that reads Wind in the Willows in one of the um, in, in one of the wonderful depictions of, of that story. Okay. I may be I may be wrong there, but I always get that impression as I listen to him. But but there are moments as you, I'm only partway through the Gospel of Matthew, so I'm not claiming to have listened to the whole New Testament yet. But um, there are moments where you are very tempted to read anger into Jesus' words where he reads them very, very gently and very graciously, and it is tremendously powerful, um, well worth having a listen to just to realise how much we bring tone to certain words, to certain phrases, when we hear um, Jesus answering his enemies, um, you know, how much anger do we insert into that? That may not actually be there. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, one of the other guys in the group is actually listening to Johnny Cash's reading of the New Testament. So, oh wow! Um, so there's a, there's a few different voices um, there that are possibilities, and um, I reckon listening to it is a really good way of realizing the tone that we put on it, even as we read silently. Yes. Yes, and, and it matters. This, this is one of those. This is one of those passages where we can read a fairly angry tone into what is actually, a, you know, it, as soon as we think this brings shame, one of the things we're tempted to say is Jesus is trying to put shame on them. Um, but maybe, it, maybe this can be read very gently. This little parable of the, you know, the donkey and untying it can be read very gently with a deep desire for Jesus to communicate um, with those who are opposing what he's done for this woman um, rather, than a, rather than a desire to, you know, smash them and, and win. <laughs> I, I think often that there are ways of reading and, and we do bring tone into it at this point that, um, that, that, can remind us that Jesus is is reaching out lovingly and graciously to everyone. And I think this pointing out of, hang on, you would do this for a donkey, but you're concerned that I've done this for a person. Um, I, I think there is a way of imagining it that um, that is actually desiring to be persuasive rather than to conquer. And yes. uh, I love that kind of approach. And I, I, I do think, I do find myself as I read the Gospels especially um, wanting to ask what tone Jesus is speaking or what tone I'm inflicting on the text. Yes, absolutely. And, and it is, it's, a, it's a relatively straightforward story, um, mm. but, it, but it says so much about what we think's okay and what we don't think's okay yeah. and how we'll always make a way to justify that. So yeah. obviously the um, leaders of the synagogue or the leader of the synagogue um, doesn't think that, you know, looking after his donkey is in the same category as helping a woman when it comes to Sabbath tasks and duties, yeah. um, you know, and, and it's so easy for us to say, well, God thinks this is more, and this is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, this is about God thinking that this is more important um, than something else. Sorry, I'm just trying you know, to lighten the room a little bit. No, that's okay. Uh, I mean, and that's I really see myself disappearing. 
but but that's what's uh, what's being said here. These people are literally saying, um, "God, God wants us to look after our donkeys." Yeah, but God doesn't want us to look after this woman in the same way. Yes, yes. Uh, and it's interesting that he uses the analogy of walking uh, the ox or the donkey to water. Mm. I think that there's something very poignant about that. He uses the analogy of it's yeah. okay for you to lead the animal to water on the Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, is that an analogy for what's happened here to this woman, that she has been led to water, mm. um, that she has had her thirst yes. quenched? And when you think about it, crippled for 18 years, bent over quite unable straight up, yeah. no doubt living with an ailment for that long, she one of the things, what would you wish for most, my love? She would say yeah. um, uh, uh, to get rid of this horrible disease. Mm. And so Jesus leads her to water um, on the Sabbath. And yet uh, these people are hypocritical enough to say that, no, that's, that's not appropriate. Yeah. How often do I? Yes. Or have I tried yes. to lift things up as being this is okay, but this is not? I mean, who am I yeah. to, to say that? Um, it, it certainly makes me wonder and yeah. be more aware of those moments when I might be trying to do this. I'm mm. stuck right now. I just popped in my head about that water thing. Mm. Man, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, yeah. This, this quenching of thirst. Water is water is of course so essential, isn't it? Mm. Um, you give a donkey water on a, on the Sabbath because if you don't, you die without it. It, it. It's dead. This is this is essential stuff. It's not, you know, it's it's not overcaring for this donkey or anything like this. This is just basics. Oh, you. On the Sabbath. Yes. You give a donkey water on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for is party to, to the people of God. That's what it's for. Yes. The Sabbath is the day of worship, of celebration, of coming together, yes. of sitting and being and being restored and being uh, boom. It's, it's, a, it's, it's about the wholeness of that. That shalom, that true yes. wholeness yes. Uh, that is being denied to this woman, and that's yes. what the Sabbath is for. And won't and they won't even deny that to a donkey. This is it's basic shalom. It's basic shalom to have a drink of water every day for a donkey. Um, one would think, not that I'm an expert on donkeys or anything, but um, you know, this is this is a basic understanding of the way the world works. And these are the very people, these are the pastors. He's yeah. literally yeah. speaking to the pastors who should know yes. that this is what Sabbath is for. Yeah. That Sabbath is for restoring and bringing wholeness. Yeah. And oh man. Mm. I mm. love the um I love the crowd's response to this too. <laughs> yeah. They're just um they they are in the language we've just used, they're entering into Sabbath perfectly. Yes. They are, you know, rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Is this beautiful way of summing summing this story up? Um, uh, unfortunately, you know, it's the religious ones that are hung up on this and and can't celebrate the wonderful things. Can't celebrate celebrate the Sabbath of Jesus being there um, and and demonstrating the very essence of Sabbath. Um, this. It's just, it's just so sad, um, and really does leave us saying, uh, leaves me saying all the time, you know, um, I, I've got to be a follower of Jesus rather than a follower of religion. Um, I can't be a follower of the rules um, while I'm following this Jesus who set me free from the law. Um, I've got to, I've got to learn to be following Jesus rather than trying to keep in step with a community um, that, that, you know, has all its boundaries um, and all of that kind of thing. If I'm to be faithful to this, I'm called way beyond just um, 
doing the religious thing. Mm. Um, and, and it puts us, it puts us in, uh, I, I think it puts all of us in tension with the institutionalization of the church. Um, you know, we have to stand, we have to learn to stand with Jesus rather than with the institution. Um, we have to de- learn to defend the ground of following Jesus rather than defend the ground of religious institutionalism. Um, and that is that is a very difficult path to walk, um, though I would suggest one the prophets like Jeremiah walked wonderfully. Yes. Um, and, and certainly the Apostle Paul um, walked a very, very difficult line that put him on the outside of his religious uh, traditions as he learnt to follow Jesus. And I, and I do mean learnt. I don't think he sort of, unlike us, you know, just did it perfectly from the, from the get-go. I think he was a fellow traveller with us. Mm. And your comment there is, brings out a really important point too. You can read this as if you were the woman. You can read this yeah. and put yourself in the place of the the crowd. And by the way, it was the entire crowd that was rejoicing. Yes. And, that, and let's remember the con- that's what it says here. And let's remember yeah, the context. Yeah. This is Jesus teaching in one of the synagogues. Yeah. So he's up front teaching. He calls the woman over, mm. says, be free, lays a hand on her. Then the leader gets indignant and speaks out. And Jesus speaks back. The entire crowd that's sitting there in this synagogue, entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Yeah. So we've we could see ourselves as the woman, and we could see ourselves as the crowd. But I suspect that for most of us, we're likely to be in the place of the yeah. leader of the synagogue. Yeah, and I think that's worth there holding is. in yes. our hearts. Yeah. That so yeah. homework homework for our listeners is to. <laughs> Read this passage through three times. Well, I was just going to say, putting um, themselves, putting ourselves in the place of those three characters. I've just put here imaginative <laughs> contemplation. Um, yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. In, in fact, Lectio. I'll probably I'll, I'll make a lectio audio and put it up on um, mm. Insight Timer and yeah, not a, not a, a lectio a um a contemplative. Imagination yeah. audio. That's an interesting observation around reading scripture that we've brought in there. Since we had, you know, I said a, a fair bit about tone before. Um, now we're actually asking the question about, you know, what angle? Where where do we see ourselves? Mm. And you can very legitimately, especially as you read the gospel, see yourself as the crowd. Um, see yourself in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people who are defending ground, see ourselves in the disciples. Um, and less often, I would suggest, people actually see themselves in the place of Jesus. There's probably an inherent um, reluctance to do that. And maybe maybe on some level that's good, but maybe there's another level on yeah, which sure we're follow- if we're yeah. following Jesus, if we're following Jesus, Maybe there's something worthwhile about reading a passage like this one and saying, um, "Can I see myself in Jesus? Where do I see myself um, in the actions and words of Jesus here?" The eleventh Sunday after Pentecost. Done. Another between two Sundays. Again, our readings today were from Jeremiah one verses four to ten, Psalm seventy-one verses one to six. Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 29, and Luke 13, verses 10 to 17. Our prayer is is that maybe something we've said stimulated some thinking, but, of course, we would love to hear from you as well. Where have these readings taken you? Where do they take you as you contemplate them approaching Sunday or even after Sunday? Please get in touch with us. You can uh, touch base with us through the comments uh, at both Mark's blog which is barefootfollower.life through uh, my Instagram posts at monkindocs at monkindocs uh, and via email at between two Sundays at gmail.com. That's with a number two. Or if you go to our link tree, which you'll find both in the uh, notes for the podcast or um, here on YouTube, 
you'll be able to see all the things that we do in different places all over the web and get in touch with us in those things send us direct messages send us an email put us something in the comments and and uh, share us a, with us about where these readings have taken you uh, because we'd like to go on the adventure with you as well there's so much in this stuff that man we don't see it all um, a confusing array of possibilities to get in touch with us yes just <laughs> note, run, i guess there's kind of no excuses not to if you're trying well yeah yeah that's true it's got to be got to be a way more difficult not to mm. or something <laughs> like that so um, until next week when we'll discuss these readings again and how we've lived them out over the past week and into the ones that are coming for the 12th um sunday after pentecost until then mark g saying goodbye Thank you. Good to see you all. Thank you, Mark. And uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Bye for now. See ya.